0: Paul says listen church stop putting yourself at sin's disposal stop taking your body stop taking your mind stop taking your will stop taking your emotions and putting those things at sin's disposal here I am sin do your best we've all taken our bodies and our emotions and our wills and our minds and we've said here I am sin do the best you can and Paul says you need to stop doing that. Stop yielding yourselves as to the disposal of sin and start yielding yourselves as a disposal to God.
1: This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse by verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed.
0: be studying for tonight's lesson verses 12 to 14. Romans chapter 6. Uh, There is a war. There's a war in our world and there's a war for our souls. And another other than our Savior tries to claim us. And the one who tries to claim us and the reason that there is a battle is explained in the first prophecy and promise found in Scripture. And the first prophecy and the first promise is found in Scripture. The Lord spoke to the tempter and he said, I will put enmity or antagonism between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He is going to crush your head, but until that time you will strike at his heel. There is great pain until God's ultimate plan of redemption is revealed. And until that plan is revealed, that pain takes the shape of much warfare between the man or woman of God and the flesh. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse number 12. This is the word of God. Paul says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law but under grace. This is God's word. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for its truth. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And we ask you tonight that in the moments that we have together, that you would teach us your truth. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I want to share with you by way of introduction this evening, a a true story. It's a secondhand true story because it's not my life. It's not my story, but it's, I know the, I know the man. So it's a true story. There was a man in his thirties. He visited his pastor one day and he had a real bad personal problem going on. He worked for a company and one of the benefits of working for, for the company he did, he had a private office. And he told his pastor, he said, several months ago, he said, my secretary took ill and, and was out, and I had to get another girl to be my secretary. And one day, he said to his pastor, he confessed to his pastor, one day, she brought in papers into my office for my perusal, and she, when she brought those papers in, she got too close, and when she leaned over my desk, she allowed the her hair to trail across my face. He says, I fought it, he says, but toward the end of the day, I put my hands on her and kissed her. And he told his pastor, he said, the only thing I can visualize while I was doing this was my two children running up to me when I got home and my wife standing at the door. He told his pastor, he says, I hated what I did. I hated myself for doing it. He said, when I got home that night, he says, I hugged my children so tight that I made one of them cry. And when we finally got that child to laugh, he said, I I hugged him so tight because I loved you so much. I had tears in my eyes as this was going on. And he told his pastor, he said, my wife's eyes were shining. He said, I went around the, the house that night touching things that we had bought together and things that reminded us of our life together. And I, and I reminded my wife many, many times throughout the evening how much I loved my family, how much I loved my home, how much I loved her. And he said, Pastor, I'm telling you before the Lord, those feelings that I expressed to my wife that night were never more true than they were when I told her. That evening I meant what I said. He said, "But the next day came. And when I went back to the office, he said that the entry tr- began all over again. No actions, just the intrigue. And before a month had gone by, he, said, he told his pastor, he said, "I realized that my lust and my love were in a terrible, terrible battle." He said, when I was at home, everything is exactly what I want. When I'm at home, he said, pastor, everything is exactly as it should be. But when I'm back at the office, the machine of my body seemed to be geared towards something terrible. He said, something that I, he said, something that I absolutely wanted out of as bad as a fly once off a of flypaper. I wanted out of this. And the day he saw his pastor, he said, "When I left home this morning, he said, my wife said that she thought that she was the happiest woman in the world because I was showing her so much love. I said to her while drying, her, drying the tears that were running down her face, he said, "I looked at my wife this morning, and I said, "I love you more than life itself." And then he said, I ran off to my train to go to work. And the answer is pastor this question, but what shall I do? What shall I do? I think that I think that story, it's not the end of the story, but as far as we're going to get right, right this moment, I think that true story, all too well, church, illustrates the battle that every one of us has with our flesh. There's a certain there's a certain way in your life that you want things to be. There's a certain way in your life that you know things ought to be. And you want them to be that way. But then temptation hits. And when temptation hits, nothing is as you want them to be. Nothing is as, is as you want is they as if they should be. Though the old man is dead and I'm not under his dominion any longer, I still have flesh and I still have lust. What's the point of the battle? What's the point of the battle? Because you and I, all of us, realize tonight that there is, in fact, a battle. If you tonight don't battle the flesh, there's one reason why you don't battle the flesh. If you're here tonight and you can say, Pastor, I honestly can tell you, I do not battle the flesh. The only reason that you battle the flesh, do not battle the flesh is because you're unsaved. That's the only reason. If you don't battle wickedness, if you don't battle the lust of your own mind and your flesh... Because nobody here is visiting from heaven, so it's got to be you're not saved. And if you're not saved, there's no battle, right? And so for those of us who are saved, which all of us in this auditorium tonight claim to be, there is a battle. And the battle rages. And the fact is, church, is that your battle with the flesh may not be as bad as the man in the story, or at least what we claim to be as bad as the man in the story. The fact of the matter is, whether your battle is infidelity or whether your battle is gossip, it is all a sin against God and it is all the lust of the flesh. It is all a battle. And in the eyes and the mind of God, there is no difference. Because we've all, we've all disobeyed the law of God. I want us to notice. I don't know how far we're going to get tonight. I love to think that I can finish, but I, I don't have any delusions of grandeur either. It's like my grandmother told me one time. I said, "We're coming to see you, Grandma." He said, "She said you come for dinner." I said, "Well, I don't want to inconvenience you, but I'm no fool either." So I like to finish tonight, but I'm also no fool. So I don't. But I, I do want to encourage you tonight by by giving you several things that Paul speaks about in this, and I want to lay this out as I normally do in a. In a in a uh, in an outline form, number one, I want you to look at the exhortation. There is an exhortation that Paul gives to the Church of Rome here, and gives to every believer who are who's in this battle. And the and the and the apostle brings really this section to a climax, really to a conclusion by br- really bringing out an apostolic mandate. Look at verse twelve. He says, "Let not therefore sin reign." In your mortal body. Now I want you to notice in your text, I want you to notice the word therefore. And you all know from your previous Bible studies whenever you see the word wherefore or therefore it is always repeating pointing back to something that's previously previously been said. And Paul is saying because of the things I've communicated to you in the past, because we have been baptized into Christ's death. We look at that verses 3, 4 and 5. Because we have been buried with Christ, because we have been uh because we have been crucified with Christ, because we have been raised with resurrection power to walk in newness of life. Because we've been made dead to sin and because we are alive in Christ, notice what Paul says. Let not sin take out the therefore because we already know why the therefore is therefore. So let's take that out. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Because you are dead to sin. Because you have been crucified with Christ. Because you have been buried with Christ. Because you have been raised with resurrection power in Christ. Church, the command is, do not allow sin to reign in your mortal body. Now notice in the text the word reign. Reign there in that text is an imperative. And it's the same word that's translated in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, as the word king. And the idea is that that word is something that exercises authority to the royal level. To be a king, to be a ruler. And church, a person that is justified even though we can sin. There should not be times where we are controlled by that sin at all times in our old life in our old self before the man before the old man of sin was dead our corrupt nature ruled our lives didn't it we couldn't do anything but that which brought forth corruption in chapel this month in the the academy we're going through Ephesians chapter 2 and we spent the last 2 weeks on the deadness of man in sin that mankind left to himself will never repent because he lacks the ability to repent because he's totally depraved and he's dead in sin. And that's the way our old corrupt nature is. Because sin literally, before Christ, sat on the throne of our hearts and ruled and dictated everything we did from the, from the throne of our heart. And as a fallen creature, we gave obedience to it. And that is the reason, folks, that unsaved people cannot do anything but an unbroken pattern of sin. And why sin becomes progressively worse and worse. Because sin is sitting on the throne of the heart. And it dictates every move they make. And Paul's point is that that is no longer the same kind of rule and reign that goes on in the life of a believer. Church, listen, sin is no more the dominant principle in your life. You get that? Sin is not the dominant principle in your life anymore. Now, is the flesh still there? Oh, yeah. The flesh is still there. And the flesh still wants to capture us and the flesh still wants to rule over us. But at that point in the believer's life, sin is the usurper. It should not be the king. Because as a believer, church, sin has no right to rule in our bodies. Listen to me. It can only rule, it can only reign if we allow it to do so. Okay? It can only rule and reign if we allow it to do so. In fact that Paul gave... An imperative here. He says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body. That's an imperative statement. That's a command. And the fact that Paul gave an imperative statement here gives us an indication that the people of this church were allowing sin to have an unnatural dominance in their life. Paul says, You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Sin doesn't have to reign in your mortal bodies. In fact, the command is, don't let it. But how does that happen if we're dead? How does that happen if we've been buried to it? How does that happen if we, through resurrection power, have been raised? How can sin dominate us? That's your question in my church. Can sin dominate the life of a believer? Well, unfortunately, you better believe it can. How? Because we let it. Because we let it. And the whole point of Paul in this entire passage is that sin has, a, we have a different relationship to it. Not that we cannot. Not that we do not sin. It's not that we've been freed from the presence of sin because we still have the weakness of the flesh. Sin's dominance is still possible, not typical and not natural to the spiritual believer because the believer no longer lives constantly a life of sin. Sin is an opposing force in your life and sin will gain the foothold and win the battle as often as you let it gain the foothold and win the battle. No one in this Worship center tonight would deny the reality of David's faith, right? That David, second king of Israel, was a man after God's own heart, according to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. But no one at the same time would ever doubt and deny the fact that there were times in David's life where he allowed sin to bear down on him and sway him morally. Sway his mortal body. And so Paul is not saying that for every believer, sin is not a reality because it is. He's simply saying that for the believer, sin is no longer your Lord. And I've repeated this, I've repeated this many, many times in the study But church. You'll never get victory. You'll never have freedom of sin unless you understand that. If you believe that this, this is just the way things are, the Lord knows I'm just dust, I can't do any better, then yes, you will always fight the dominance of sin in your life. Before Christ, sin was your sovereign. But now in Christ, he is your sovereign. Listen, church, death is beaten. It's a beaten, dead reality. But because of the flesh, we still fight the battle. Look, our flesh is unredeemed. It's like a rotting corpse. It's dead and can't do anything to you right? But it still does what? It still stinks and because it still stinks, you still if you're around it, you still feel the effects of its deadness. And even though your old man is dead, dead and buried, it still rots and because you're around it, The stench still affects you. And the more you allow it, the more it will affect you. And that is why, church, while we are dead, we still sin, while we sometimes sin egregiously. But we have the power not to, church. We have the power not to, because the old man is dead. We do not, we have the power not to give in to the vileness and the dominion of the flesh. Though the compulsion is there. The power over us is gone. And praise God for that. That the power of sin is gone. But church, here's what you have to do. Every day you have to reject your old slave ways. And so we see the encounter. What you and I encounter every day when we put when we get up out of bed, well, I only have to get up out of bed when my alarm goes off. One of the things I encounter immediately I come face to face is with my flesh. I come face to face with my flesh. So we have an encounter. Number two, I want you to see the encumbrance. The encumbrance. Look at verse the second part of verse twelve. Paul gives us in verse 12, the second part of verse 12, the very thing that hinders us. Let not therefore sin reign in your what? That's what affects you. That's why you're still a sinner, because you live in a mortal body. The word mortal is a word that means that which is subject to death. And it's a reference to the corrupted earthly body that believers now possess. Not the future glorified bodies that the believers will have in eternity with God, but what we need to understand is that this is the heart of the battle. Because we walk about in our mortal bodies, Paul is neither referring to the old sinful nature nor the new redeemed nature. He is, re- he is referring to where sin reigns. Where does sin reign in your body? Look in the mirror. What you see in the mirror, that's where sin reigns. It reigns in your flesh. And Satan will try nothing more than to get a foothold in your life through that flesh. Because sin will will attempt its insurrection at the level of the flesh. Because that's where we live. That's why Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but who? We also, ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, meaning that we've received the down payment, if you will. We've, we've received the guarantee. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies. Well, there are many times, I don't know about you, but there are many times as I walk my walk every day, I said, Lord, I sure would like to shed this old flesh. Is that you too or is that just me and I'm the only one's guilty? When you lose your temper and you say that's something you shouldn't say, Lord, I sure would like to shed this body of flesh. And you walk down the street and a woman passes in front of you that's dressed not the way she should be dressed or you're in uh, your social network and, and a picture flashes up there something that you shouldn't look And you say, Lord, I sure do, would love to shed this body of flesh. Well, let me help you out there. Maybe you need to first shed social media. But be that as it may. you said, boy, I sure would like to shed this flesh. And sometimes, church, it gets so bad that you can almost feel, if, if, you, if you get to the point in your life that you just hate your sin, you almost you feel yourself groaning within yourself, Lord, I just, I want to get rid of this. You know, the fact of the matter is, church, a lot of people will get, a lot of Christians will get caught up in the battle. And if they're not careful, the devil will use the battle to try to convince them, well, you're really not born again. Because saved people don't do this. And while maybe saved people should not do that, unsaved people don't care that they're doing that. Unsaved people, no matter how religious they may be, they don't have the, the attitude, they don't have the, uh, the relationship to sin where they just want to shed this, this fleshly body. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 3 that we're looking at on Sunday, for our citizenship is Where? I'm not, a, I, I'm not a citizen down here. I'm a pilgrim passing through. And because I'm not a citizen here, because you're not a citizen here, this body that I have that you see is just temporary. Meaning that my battle with the flesh, my battle with sin, is just temporary. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50, I love this passage. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? That is as fast, Somebody said that's as fast as you can blink. No, as faster than that. That's as fast as light can bounce off of your eye. That's over 186,000 miles a second. That's how fast you'll be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, And this mortal shall put on immortality. I can't wait to say this. Then shall that then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse fifty-five says, "O death, where's your sting? O grave, where's your victory?" The struggle is real, but so is the victory. And sin has no dominion over you, no more dominance over you today than you give it. And the struggle is so real. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, that I keep my body. Literally, that, that's, that's, that's abuse language. (laughs) You, You could really translate that, Paul, and this is kind of, uh, morbid maybe, but this is a literal Greek translation. Paul says, I beat my body. I beat my body to bring it under subjection because Paul says my body is not going to control me. I'm going to control it. Even though we're dead. And praise God we're dead. But that only means that sin doesn't have power over me anymore. That only means that I don't have to do it. But at the same time, if I allow the sin to have the dominance, he'll take it. He'll take it. But number three, let's look at the enticement. We see the encounter. We see the, uh, what was the second point? I don't remember. The encumbrance, thank you. The note takers always like to, uh, what does James say, always like to identify the spiritual ones? Number three, the enticement. Look at verse 12. What part of our unredeemed humanness is the problem? That ye should obey the lusts thereof. If you allow sin, church, to have dominance in your life, you'll obey what it desires every time. In order for there to be righteousness in the life of the believer, sin must not be obeyed. Sin will dominate your life, church, unless you fight against it. And any of the body's senses can easily become a channel for temptation and sin, can it? And if a Christian feeds that lust and entertains it with temptation, he will soon find himself or herself dominated by them. And then the believer's body of sin will master him if he does not continually master it. It goes back to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of what? His own lusts. You know why you sin? Because of your own lust. Why do you want to feed it? And the work for which Paul calls us to do is exactly what he talked about in Philippians 2 verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brothers, ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the idea that God can do it all and I just don't, I don't need to do nothing is invalid. For the believer, church, pursuing holiness is not an option, it's a command. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Classic example of this is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know the story. David had just sent Joab and his men off to fight against the Ammonites. But David remained in Jerusalem. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, and it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. It's innocent, innocent enough. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now I want you to notice from that verse, the word Saul. The word Saul in Hebrew literature works much differently than it does in our English literature. Because in our literature, a lot of times when you talk about seeing or saw, it, it means you just looked and you turned, you could have possibly turned the other way. I mean, if that would have been true of David, he could have predicted what he would have seen, witnessed when he walked up on his own roof of his own house. I mean, the kings were allowed to be there. David, David could not have predicted that this woman was going to be on her rooftop taking a bath. He could have predicted that. And if David would have just, just saw her and turned and gone the other way, David would have been no harm, right? I mean, you and I can't help, guys, what may flash before our eyes sometimes. I mean, if you're busy, if you're busy surfing the porn sites on the computer, then you can probably help what flashes before your eyes, right? But if you're walking down the street, you necessarily can't help what billboard flashes in front of your eyes. And some of those billboards are very offensive. But that's not what the Hebrew word for Saul means. Rahul. It means to look intently. But it also has this meaning. It means to spy. So David walked up on his roof and saw Bathsheba, or who turned out to be Bathsheba, taking a bath. And not only did he continuously look, but he made sure that he crouched himself down. It was not a casual look. It was not an accidental look. David made sure that he crouched himself down so that he would not be caught seeing, so that he would not be caught looking. He not only saw Bathsheba, but the Hebrew literature tells us that he spied on Bathsheba. He fed that lust. It wasn't a casual, accidental look. It was a lingering look. And you all know how the account ends. So what was David's fatal flaw? He fed the lust of his flesh. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and when the woman what? Saw, same Hebrew word. When the woman saw, she didn't just look at the fruit and then turn the other way. She looked at it and she longed for, she lingered there and she lusted after it. And the longer she looked, the more lustful she came until finally she took it. Because you need to understand Adam and Eve were not created perfect. They were created what? innocent they were created without sin but they were not created without the ability to sin and so the longer she looked the longer she lingered the more she lusted until finally she took it same hebrew word holiness church unfortunately is not instantaneous for the believer it is a day-by-day it's a moment-by-moment process and as long as we live in the flesh we will fight the battle the lust of the flesh and the struggle is constant, which is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Number four, the effect. The effect. And here is the way that you do not feed the lust of the flesh. Verse 13. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at the word yield. It means to serve. It means to cause to do something. It means to make available. And when Paul speaks about our members, he's talking about each part of our being. He's talking about our bodies, our minds, our wills, our emotions. All of you. And there's another imperative, and it, and the imperative is preceded by the Greek word may, which is a negation of any Greek word. And so Paul is telling them to stop doing something. Paul says, listen, church, stop putting yourself at sin's disposal. Stop taking your body. Stop taking your mind. Stop taking your will. Stop taking your emotions and putting those things at sin's disposal. Here I am, sin. Do your best. Now, we sit here in church and we say, that's unheard of, Pastor. But we all have done it. We've all done it. We've all taken our bodies and our emotions and our wills and our minds and we've said, here I am, sin. Do the best you can. And Paul says, you need to stop doing that. But, he says, yield yourselves unto God. Yield is the same Greek word, but it's different grammar. The first yield is a present imperative. Stop doing this. The second yield is an aorist imperative. Start doing this. Stop yielding yourselves as to the disposal of sin and start yielding yourselves as a disposal to God. And Paul reiterates the fact that, that the truth of being dead to sin but alive to righteousness. Church, stop giving yourselves. To sin as a disposal. But give yourselves to God. That is why people are able to do righteousness. Because we give ourselves to God. Now number five, the essence. Here's the climax. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen on that? For sin shall not... Have dominion over you. Sin no longer church has the power to direct your life. Do you know that? You no longer take marching orders from the prince of the power of the air. You no longer take marching orders from the old man. Because the Christian has died to that enslavement. For you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, folks, the law can do many things. The law commands, the law demands, the law rebukes, the law condemns, the law restrains. But one thing the law cannot do, the law cannot save. It cannot free us from the power, the penalty, or the presence of sin. Only sovereign grace can do that. Paul states our position in Christ. He says you must stop giving yourself to the disposal of sin and start giving yourself to the disposal of God. And you have the ability to do that because sin is no longer your master. Grace has has dethroned him. What's the law do? What we're going to see in chapter seven is all the law does is keep the old man, the old flesh alive. That's all the law does. But grace dethrones it. God has removed us from death's dominion and placed us under his reign of grace. Always remember that you are not under the dominion of sin, it has no power over you. Let me tell you real quick how our story ends, how his illustration ends. It's a true story. We left the man as he was going to the train and he asked his pastor, he says, but what shall I do? I've got this constant battle. This is the way I want things to be. Is that you tonight? In my life, this is the way I want things to be. But that's not the way things always are. (laughs) I hate myself for it. I hate who I am. I hate that I battle this. That's not what I want. That's not who I am. I don't want that battle. You don't have to have that battle. Jesus, the sovereign grace of Almighty God has dethroned that battle. With the husband's consent, the pastor called his wife into his office and the pastor told her everything. And as you can well imagine, fear leaped into her eyes, but he reassured the husband, the, the wife of the husband's love. The, husband, the wife and the pastor took a taxi to his office. And they were expecting him. And the pastor stood, they walked in, the, husband, the wife and the pastor walked into the man's office and the pastor stood by and, as the wife and the husband just embraced And the pastor gave testimony that the wife said this to her husband with tears, and as she embraced her husband, she says, I know, I know, I understand. It's all right. Pastor then called in the mistress into the office. And the scene that follows typifies really the mortal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Both fighting for control. But the wife knew she had the mind, soul of her husband. She knew that had never been taken away. And she understood the the grandular warfare of the body and that his lust had sprung up to life in response to the lure of this strange flesh. She looked at him, the pastor said in testimony later on, she said, he says. she looked at him with complete and utter love and understanding. And the pastor looked at the mistress and said she knows all about this. She loves him, and he completely loves her. And he has never had anything toward you except animal lust. And then he asked the the young lady to step outside and wait in the other room while he had a prayer with the husband and wife. And then the pastor went outside and introduced the secretary to Jesus Christ. You owe all allegiance, church. You owe all allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. You were espoused to him as a chaste virgin to the bridegroom. And the lust... That draws you from Christ may not be what grips with the same thing that gripped the man in the story. But it's just as evil. It may be pride for you. It may be dishonesty. Or it may be some forgotten sin of which you had no idea that you've indulged in. You've indulged in it for so long that it seems to have just a a bind on you with a strong core that you just really don't even think about it anymore. Maybe you've had such a poor attitude for so long, you just don't realize you've got a poor attitude anymore. Maybe you lie so often, you just don't realize that you're a liar. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to bring any of those sins to the forefront of your mind because those are the things tonight, church, that are marring your victory. Well, the trap that you and I so easily and often fall into is a trap that we like to classify sins. Well, emotional adultery or actual adultery or whatever, or pornography or whatever, is, a, is worse than is a worse sin than gossip. And for you and I who are sinners, yes, that may be true. But for the holy, righteous, sovereign God, whose whose law is perfect and just and holy, every sin is an egregious, a, a, a grievous, uh, an assault against that law. And so, the sin that binds you may not be what bound that man. But it's still a sin that binds you. It's still a sin, that whatever it may be, that, that feeds that lust. I've never been able to, well, there's a lot of things, Raynell, that I've never been able to figure out. One of the things I've never been able to figure out is this. A man looks at you in the face and says, Pastor, I do not want I do not want to think lustful thoughts and, and I, and I keep bringing and I bring this up a lot folks because I deal with a lot of young men to deal with this. They'll look at me and they'll say, pastor, I do not want to think lustful thoughts about a young lady, but when they get home, they rush to the smartphone or they rush to the computer and they Google the porn sites. And if you think for one moment that you're going to get victory over the lust of the flesh of looking at a, looking lust, thinking lustful thoughts against a young, about a young lady, the whole time that you're looking at pornography on the internet, you're fool. You think for one moment you're going to get victory over the flesh of the sin of gossip, the whole time you're listening to it, you're foolish. There has to be, folks, a clean break in our life where, we, where even though sin doesn't have its dominance, we need to make sure that we don't give it the dominance back. Well, I've never seen a group of people like Christians like to take a dead man and try to stuff nutrients down his throat to bring him back to life. That's what we like to do. Sin is a battle. There's no doubt about that. There's no question. Sin is a battle. But as James 1.14 says, it's a battle of our lust. The old man is dead, but the flesh, the lust of the old man, well, that rage is strong. That must be the point of the battle, church. You're going to have freedom from sin. It's going to come at the point of the lust of the flesh. Do you have victory there? You don't have victory there if you feed that? battle
1: Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m., as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross through the church to the world until Christ come. God bless you.